Yes, let's come to God now in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your precious word that you have given to us. Indeed, we, we pray now that you will speak to us and help us, Lord, to have humble and contrite hearts and tremble at your word. We pray that you will help us to turn from the idols of our lives to you in faith and in obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, in the Straits Times, there was this uh, article came out. I think in the forum section, the the writer of this article said that uh, his mother had been a staunch Taoist for many years, and then uh, he became a Christian, and he brought her to become a Christian eventually. And she was a very very uh, faithful Christian. She she never ever stepped into a temple again. She didn't even go to dinner invitations uh, where, you know, uh, she, just in case that she has to eat uh, food that had been offered to idols. But then her husband got pancreatic cancer and he wasn't a Christian. So he went to the feng shui master and the feng shui master told him, when you were in Macau many years ago, you actually offended some angry spirits in this temple. So you need to go back to Macau and pray to those spirits and offer to them. Then you'll be healed. And he was too, his cancer was too advanced, he couldn't travel. So he asked his wife, and his wife was a Christian, but then she decided, okay, I want my husband to get better. So she actually went to Macau, to the temple, uh, for the, uh, for, uh, and uh, prayed and offered to the gods. I mean, the husband died in the end, but that's not the point. The point is that the, the writer feels that this was the right thing for her to do. He, he says, I'm a Christian, I go to church, uh, but uh, I approve of what my mother did. And in fact, now I also hold joysticks to my ancestors as well. It's fine. He calls it inclusive Christianity. Inclusive Christianity. See, he wants to have God's blessing on the one hand, but he also wants the benefits from idols. He wanted the best of both worlds. Okay, I mean, w- would you ever consider doing something like that? You know, Maybe you don't think so, but would you ever try to have the benefit of both being a believer and yet you want to mix and match it with other things? Because that's exactly what is happening in today's passage in Judges chapter 17 to 18. And it's a very interesting story. It's full of twists and turns. So I want you now to open your Bible there and keep it open there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, somebody from the back can give it to you if you put up your hand. And uh, let's see what the story says and what it tells us about our own hearts. Okay? So this story begins in chapter 17 with an unnamed woman. She lives in the hill country of Ephraim. And uh, things go wrong straight from the word go. Okay? She has a huge amount of money missing. She has 1,100 shekels of silver which she can't find. And in today's terms, that's almost $20,000. Uh, I went on the webpage and tried to calculate it. Okay. So I think that's a lot of money, 1,100 shekels of silver. Who, who took it? Well, surprise, it was her own son who took it, the person that you least expect. It was Micah. Okay, in verse 2, Micah tells his mother, actually, I'm the one who stole your 1,100 shekels of silver. And Micah's mother replied by saying, Oh, the Lord bless you, my son. Why is she doing that? Well, she see, she had cursed him originally, right? So now she tried to reverse the curse and counteract the curse by blessing him, you see? It's, isn't she superstitious? You know, she's trying to 
she thinks curse and blessing, you know, she thinks that God works in this kind of magical kind of way, you know, they can cancel out each other. And then she gets the silver back and she says in verse 3, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord. And that sounds really good. But hang on, let's read the full sentence. I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a carved idol. That's another surprise. That's a shock, right? I mean, what's going on here? That sounds like a contradiction. How can you give your money to the Lord and then you say to make a carved image and a carved idol? You see, she is confused about the proper way to worship God. She thinks that by um, making an idol, somehow she's honoring God, you know. She, she, so she doesn't even know what's written in the, in the Bible, in the law, okay, in the law of Moses at that time. Or she, if she knows, she conveniently ignores it. So what does it say in the law? Well, let me show you. In Deuteronomy 27, uh, it says, Cursed is the man who casts an image or casts an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of the craftsman's hands, and sets it up in secret. And this is based on the second commandment, which comes from the ten commandments. And the second commandment is, is here, which is, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. And you shall not bow down to them or worship them. Now, what's the difference between the first commandment? The first commandment says you shall not have any other gods before me, right? What's the difference between the first commandment and this second commandment? You see, the second commandment is not just saying we shouldn't worship images of other gods. It's also saying that we shouldn't make images of the true God to worship. We must not make pictures, we must not make statues and sculptures of God and think that they represent Him, you see. That is exactly what Micah's mother is doing. She thinks that she's worshipping the God of Israel, Yahweh, by worshipping this idol that she's making. So, she's very confused. And she is actually committing idolatry here. Now, not only that, she actually doesn't keep her word, isn't it? She says, I'm going to give God all my silver and actually she only takes out 200 shekels of silver to give, uh, to make these idols. Okay, I mean, the oath was bad to begin with but then she didn't even keep it. So she kept 80% for herself. So we can see Micah's mother is this superstitious and confused woman who focuses on external rituals, magic formulas, but she doesn't have any true obedience. What about Micah? Well, we already saw Micah is a thief. And he is not just an ordinary thief. He doesn't just steal from anyone. He steals from his own mother. That's, that's really bad. I mean, even for a non-believer today, that is a really bad thing to do. And he only returned the money when he heard the curse. Right? Maybe he was scared that, oh, my mother has said a curse about the thief, so I better return the money. Okay? And then in verse 5, it says, This man Micah had a shrine. And he made an ephod and some idols and installed one of his sons as his priest. So actually he has a whole uh, mini temple okay, in his house, complete with all the props that he needs. He has an ephod. Now what's an ephod? I'll show you a picture. I think it's something like this yellow garment here, which is a, a thing that usually the priest would wear. Okay, This is a, like the high priest of Israel, so probably some imitation of that kind of thing. And we read a few weeks later, uh, earlier in, in the story of Gideon that they actually worshipped the ephod that he made, isn't it? So it was a special garment. And then in this mini temple, he not just has the ephod, he has household gods. 
And now he adds a carved idol, a carved image and a cast idol. So he's got various things there for him to worship, okay? And now also he ordains his son as a priest. So he has a DIY shrine at home, isn't it? A whole religious system that he customized for himself. And uh, and he, he, he has new items for his collection, right, from his mother. So how many, how many rules do you think he has broken here? Okay, firstly, we already saw in the second commandment, God says, you shall not worship idols. Okay, he's done that wrong already. But also, God commanded in, in Leviticus that a priest of God can only come from the tribe of Levi and can only be a descendant of Aaron. Okay, but his son is from the tribe of Ephraim, so that's wrong too. Okay? And thirdly, in the book of Deuteronomy, God said that my people must only worship me in one location. It is the place that I will choose to put my name. Okay? So where I will choose to have the tabernacle, which later on became the temple. But Michael has his shrine in his own living room. Okay, now, where is this place that God had chosen to put his tabernacle? Where is it at that time? Well, it wasn't Jerusalem. It only was Jerusalem later on in their history. Okay? If you read the last verse of chapter 18, you'll find the answer. Okay? The last verse of chapter 18, verse 31, says that they continued to use the idols Michael had made all the time the house of God was in Shiloh. Where is Shiloh? Let me show you a map. Yeah. Notice which tribe it sits in. Ephraim, right? But that's where Micah is living. You see, he's living right here. He's living next door to the real house of God. And he still builds his own shrine at home. He doesn't even have a good excuse that, oh, it's too far away, I can't travel there, so I'll build it in my own house. No. So, you see, he has disobeyed all of God's rules about who to worship, how to worship, where to worship. And he doesn't have any excuse at all. And then in verse 10, this Levite comes along, okay? And he meets this Levite and he makes him a job offer. Hey, come and be my father and my priest, in verse 10. You see, this Levite, why does he want this Levite instead of his own son? Because he's a Levite, he comes from the tribe of Levi, right? He has better credentials to be a priest. At least he's from the right tribe. Uh, okay, he may not be a son of Aaron, but let's you know not be so kind of technical here. He's close enough. So Michael says, now I have a Levite as my priest. Surely the Lord will bless me. So Michael wants the Lord to bless him on the one hand. But then Michael wants to do it his way on the other hand. You see, he ignores God's word and he does it his own way. He does what is right in his own eyes. If you think, which is more dangerous, to completely reject God or to say, I am worshipping God, but to do it our own way? You see, if Micah had gone and worshipped the, the Baals, well, at least you'd think that he would know, okay, I'm no longer worshipping this God of Israel. But if you have only a surface allegiance to God, if you're just a superficial believer in name only, you know, and you really don't care about what God says, then you are just deceiving yourself. Because here Micah is falsely reassuring himself that surely I'm safe and surely the Lord will bless me because I have a Levite for my priest when he has actually broken God's law many, many times over. And we can see how pathetic this man Micah is towards the end of the story in chapter 18 when the people of Dan came 
and they took his idols away, what did he say? If you look at chapter 18, verse 24, he said, You took my, the gods that I made and my priest and went away. Now think about it. You took the gods I made. Isn't that a contradiction in terms here? Now if you can make them, how can they be gods? Right? I mean, if, you, if these things can be stolen, how can they be gods? Right? That is just ridiculous. You take a block of wood, uh, you take a piece of silver, you fashion it with your own hands into an idol, then you put it above you and you start worshipping it as your God. That is completely illogical. But that is really the essence of what idolatry is. See, idolatry is worshipping anything else but the Creator. Idolatry is worshipping the work of human hands. And Micah is an idolater who invents his own gods and yet he thinks that the true God is going to bless him. Now, so far we've looked at his mother and Micah and we think they're not very impressive people. Okay, What about the other characters in this story? Maybe they have some redeeming features. Okay, so let's look at this young Levite guy. Okay, This Levite starts from Bethlehem in Judah. That's where he was living. But he leaves Bethlehem in search of maybe better career prospects. Okay, uh, And he left and he just happened to travel. Uh, okay, I'll show you where Bethlehem is. So here, right? So he went north and he went to Ephraim. And uh, he managed to just stop over at uh, Micah's house. And you know what happened? Micah made him an offer, right? In verse 10, he says, Be my father and priest, and I'll give you ten shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. Now, ten shekels of silver is not a huge amount in our time. Okay? But it's, it could be a lot better than what he was making in Bethlehem. Right? Now he has accommodation provider, he has food, he has clothes, and he has even extra spending money. Okay? That's pretty good, lah. Okay, why not? Okay, so he went for it. Now, isn't that terrible? This man is a Levite, which means that he comes from the tribe of Levi and he is an expert in God's law. See, of all people, he should have known what God had commanded. He should have been the one who knew uh, that God forbids idolatry. He should be the one to teach the people what is the correct way to worship the Lord. But instead, he chose to be a priest for a shrine of idols. See, he betrayed God here for money, for maybe respect, for job security, for comfort. And this ambitious young man, he can be bought over as long as the price is right, isn't it? He's a yes man to the highest bidder. He's an opportunist. See, for him it wasn't about obeying God. For him, it was about himself. And his ministry was just a stepping stone. Just a career pathway for him. Just a way to make money and advance himself. He's a very thick skin as well. Look at chapter 18, verse 4 to 6. The spies from the tribe of Dan. Okay, they come and they recognize him, right? Hey, what on earth are you doing here? You know, in, in Ephraim. I thought you were in Judah. Okay, in, uh, in, in verse 4, And he told them what Micah had done for him and said, He has hired me and I am his priest. He has hired me and I am his priest. So, Micah is really a priest for hire, isn't it? He's not God's priest, he's Micah's priest. And yet, he has the cheek to speak on behalf of God and to bless the people from the tribe of Dan. 
And then in verse 18, when the Danites go and steal Micah's things, they, they tell him, hey, look, you can get a better deal with us, you know. You know, here you'll be stuck here forever serving this Micah, only at most one family and his neighbors only. Why be stuck here when you can be a priest to a whole tribe of Israel? You'll be famous. You'll be rich. Everybody will love you. You know, it's a chance of a lifetime for you. And he thought about it. And he says, yep. I'll be, I don't mind being headhunted by these uh, day-night people. Okay? It says in verse 20, the priest was glad. You see, he became a willing accomplice to their theft to steal from Micah. See, he's a priest of God but he has stooped to the level of a common thief. And he goes off with these Danites to set up an alternative religion in Dan. And right at the end of the story, finally, the writer of the book of Judges tells us what his name is. And this is a huge surprise again to us. Okay, read in 18 verse 30. There the Danites set up for themselves the idols. And Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses... And his sons were priests for the tribe of Dan until the time of the captivity of the land. So guess who he is? No, he's not a nobody, you know. He has a very famous ancestor. No wonder everybody wanted him, right? Because he's a very impressive CV. He is a Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses. Now, son of in, in Hebrew does not necessarily can have to mean literal son of because this is a few generations after Moses. He could be a descendant of Moses. Okay? He's a direct descendant from Moses. See, Moses must have turned in his grave, isn't it? Because this descendant of Moses, either he doesn't know or he doesn't care at all about the law of Moses. What have things come to in this nation of Israel? And now we come to look at the Danite people. Okay, in chapter 18. And we read in verse 1, In those days the tribe of the Danites were seeking a place of their own, where they might settle, because they had not yet come into an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. Now you think, that is a bit strange, you know, because God gave every single tribe in Israel a place of their own. How come Dan does not have an inheritance, they have to look for their own place? Well, actually, if you read the Bible, you know that God did promise them an inheritance. You see, uh, Joshua, he actually, in the book of Joshua, in chapter 19, I, I put it out here for you, but we won't read everything because all the names are. But um, they cast lots for all the places. And this is the territory that the people of Dan had. And you may recognize some of the names here like Zorah, which is the hometown of Samson, Eshtal nearby, and so on. Okay, this is the territory. So I'll show you a map. Like, it's easier than showing the words. Next one. This is really the area uh, that God promised to give Dan. Okay, so below is the tribe of Judah. And here is Benjamin. And here is uh, Ephraim. Okay, so they are kind of sandwiched in between. This is the area that they're supposed to have. But if you remember from last week's Samson's uh, lesson, these towns are all Philistine towns. Okay, and so this area is completely uh, uh, occupied by the Philistines. And the Philistines are very strong and mighty warriors in those times. And they were actually enemy number one for Israel all the way through Saul's time and David's time and the kings until... Assyria came and wiped out Israel as well as Philistine at the same time. So, you can imagine why a small tribe like Dan had difficulty conquering a strong people like the Philistines. They couldn't get their foot in the land. But then, did God expect them to do it themselves? You see, 
we must remember that God had promised them that he was going to be the one to fight for them. God said that they would have the victory even if they had very few numbers compared to the enemy. But there was a condition. God said, if you are obedient to my word. So if you look at uh, Leviticus, uh, next slide, this is what God promised. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, you will pursue your enemies, they will fall by the sword before you, five of you will chase a hundred, hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. Uh, we saw in the first two chapters of Judges a few weeks ago that it was because Israel was disobedient, that's why they didn't manage to occupy the land. See, if you go back to Judges chapter 1, uh, it says here, The Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country, not allowing them to come down into the plain. So, the Danites were disobedient to God, they failed, and the, the people of the land, the Amorites, the Philistines, and so on, they kept them up on the hilltops, whereas all the plains were filled with Canaanites. So, what does the tribe of Dan decide to do now? They say, well, God's plan is not working. Okay, so instead of repenting of their sin, instead of turning to the Lord for disobedience, instead of praying and asking God for strength and trusting, they say, let's have our own plan B. Okay, God's way is not, uh, is not plausible. Okay, it's not very feasible for us. So why don't we forget about God's choice and we just go and find our own place, somewhere that we can manage. Okay, so they, in verse 2, they send five warriors as spies into the whole land. Go and find out, do a recce, find out what part is a good place for us to occupy. So these spies head north and they come to the territory of Ephraim. Remember Ephraim is right above Dan. And surprise, surprise, who do they meet? Well, they meet Micah, isn't it? They go and stay in his house. And then even greater surprise, they actually know this young Levite. They recognize his voice, so they must have known him from some, somewhere in the... Maybe maybe he applied for a job position in the child then before, who knows. Okay, but... Um, hey, long time no see, how come you are here? And they ask this Levite, please go and ask God. Please go and ask God whether he is blessing our, our trip, you know. Does he bless our journey or not? And the Levite says, don't worry, God blesses, God approves of your journey. I find it very hard to believe that what the Levite says is really from God. You see, but the point is, the Danites want God to bless them. You see, superficially, they are loyal to God too. They sound so pious. May, may we have God's blessing on for our trip. But actually, their hearts are far from God. See, they've abandoned God's plan. They only want God to rubber stamp their own plan and make it successful. And they go far to the north. I'll show you a map. Uh, so, the tribe of Dan is supposed to be here, but they didn't manage to occupy it. They actually go up, all the way up to here. You can see the word Dan here. The name of this city is actually Laish before it. Before it okay? It's all the way in the north. So, they go all the way to the north to a city called Laish. In verse 7, it says that these people were prosperous, they had a very rich land, they were isolated, they had no neighbors to help them out uh, when they were attacked, and they just lived their own peaceful lives, minding their own business, completely unsuspecting of any danger. And then I said, this is the perfect place. You know, great, this is the place that we are going to attack, okay? So they go back to their tribesmen in Dan and tell them, hey, let's go and get this place, come on, you know, uh, don't be scared, it's a great place, you know what? God will bless us. God has put this land into our hands. See, they can even claim God's on their side, you know. And so they decide to go for that Dan, that Laish, 
They take a band of 600 men with all their children and their livestock and everything. And on their way again, they stop by Micah's house. And they go and greet Micah. Okay? But before they greet Micah, they told the other five, the five spies who had been there before, they told the others, okay? They said, do you know what? This place uh, is unique. This place has the ultimate religious DIY kit. Okay? This place is a fully furnished temple package. It is a complete package with the ephod, the cast idol, the calf image, the household gods, and even the priest, you know, you know what to do, right? So, they, okay, ahem, ahem, they know what to do. So, they, they go and greet Micah, shake hand, hey, you know, shalom, how are you? Okay? Uh, but all the time, their intention is to take his homemade temple, isn't it? And the other Danites in all their battle gear are standing outside, standing ready, okay? So they just take up because they don't have to worry about all the soldiers are there. They don't even try to hide it. Okay, it's not even burglary. It's daylight robbery, right? So they take the priest as well for good measure. And then, of course, Micah finds out eventually and he chases after them. He says, hey, hey, wait, wait a minute. Okay, and the Danites, hey, what's your big problem? And Micah says, what do you mean what's my big problem? You took my, the gods that I made and you went away and my, you took my priest. What else do I have? You know, can you see the problem here? Hello? And, and, and the Danites answered, Hey, watch your mouth. Huh? We've got some guys here who are not very, very friendly. Okay? They are not very good at controlling their temper. So you better don't say anymore. Otherwise, you lose more than just those gods. Can you see how the, the people of Dan are behaving? You see, they are robbing their own brother Israelite. And they are very insincere, they are very sneaky and tricky, right? On one side they are greeting him, on the other side they are stealing from him. And they also behave like thugs, like gangsters, isn't it? They don't care about what's right and what's wrong, they just see who is stronger. That's the most important thing to them. And so they go to Laish, in verse 27, and it says that they attack them with the sword and burn down their city. So they slaughtered this helpless, unsuspecting city in cold blood. Now, I'm sure that wouldn't pass the Geneva Convention for conducting warfare. Okay? And it doesn't pass God's convention for conducting warfare. Okay? God gave them rules as well. God gave Israelites rules for how to conduct warfare. Let me show you in, in Deuteronomy chapter 10. When you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. If they accept and open their gates, all the people in it shall be subject to forced labor and shall work for you. But if they refuse to make peace and they engage in you in battle, then you lay siege to that city. See, but the Danites did not do that. They, didn't, they just snuck up on the city. They didn't make a declaration of war. They didn't, you know, uh, they didn't offer any terms of peace. They just went in and killed everybody. And then they renamed the city Dan after their ancestor and they set up their alternative shrine with all the gods that they had taken from Micah and they put this Levite, this descendant of Moses as their priest. And it says that this arrangement continued all the way until the captivity days when the Assyrians attacked them in the 8th century BC, hundreds of years later. And it's quite possible that this shrine in name was dedicated to the God of Israel but they use their own design to worship God. And then the last verse, as we read earlier, says they continued to use the idols Micah had made all the time the house of God was in Shiloh. So all that time they were worshipping false gods through a false priest, there was a real house of God, a true house of God where they were supposed to offer sacrifice, where the true priest of God was supposed to minister at 
at Shiloh. So their idols were competing with the true worship of God at Shiloh. And that is DIY religion for you. See, first you have Micah's mother, and then Micah himself, and then the Levites, and now the Danites. Now over the past few weeks, we've been looking at this book of Judges. And as we've journeyed through, we've heard again and again this phrase, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And you ask yourself, why do they keep doing evil in the eyes of the Lord? Well, last week we had a, a bit of a hint with Samson. It says that he found this Philistine woman. He told his father, this is the one that I want. You know, she's right in my eyes. And today it's made even clearer in chapter 17 in verse 6. If you look at chapter 17 verse 6, it says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. So that is really the problem. Uh, the, the literal translation is, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. See, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord because they wanted to do what was right in their own eyes. You see, it all depends on your perspective. Instead of looking at it from God's perspective, from His eyes, they are seeing things from their own eyes. They want to do what is right in their own eyes. You see, what they want themselves, what pleases them. It's not, thy will be done, it's my will be done. That is the, their motto. So none of the four characters in this story are good at all. Each one of them are idol worshippers. But they all think that they are being loyal to God. You know, one uh, says, the Lord bless you. The other says, oh, the Lord will now bless me. See? And then uh, Levite says, hey, the Lord will go and bless you guys. And the Danites say, hey, we want God to come and bless us. All bless, bless, bless. Okay, they know the right words. But you have the superstitious mother of Micah. You have idolatrous Micah. You have the opportunistic Levite. And then you have the dishonorable tribe of Dan. The whole story just goes to show what the state of Israel was like at that time. It was terrible. They were spiritually confused and they were religiously compromised as a nation. Now what are the things that we can learn from this story for ourselves? How is it relevant to us today? Well, as we said, firstly, I want to say that God is not impressed when we have a superficial allegiance to Him, but our hearts are actually turned to idols. Okay, We saw the characters in this study all claiming to be faithful to the Lord. They all thought they were so faithful, but yet all of them were idol worshippers. None of them were actually worshipping God and obeying God. So for them, religion is just some kind of window dressing. On the outside, they will do all the right rituals, they'll say the right words, the right formulas, put on this show, but on the inside, the real God was the idols. See, it's so much easier, isn't it? To have external rituals you can do. It's easier to have formulas that you can perform and tick all the bright boxes. You say, okay, if I just do this, then I know God is happy with me. So if I go to church every Sunday, I, I even not just go to church, I go to Bible study as well every week. I give so much money to the church, I must be okay in God's eyes. You know, or I can speak the right lingo, just like Micah, or the Lord bless you, Amen, or oh, I pray for you brother, hallelujah. I can say all these things, so therefore, I must be right in God's eyes. Now, if only pleasing God was about that, there would be no problem for all of us, isn't it? But you see, God is not interested in that. He's not interested in appearances. God looks for heart 
obedience to his word. So in Isaiah, God says, this, uh, in Isaiah chapter 66, This is the one that I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God seeks people who tremble at his word. God seeks people who are responsive to every word that he says. God seeks people who live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So God looks to see if I love my wife and my family consistently. God looks to see if I've forgiven those who wronged me. God looks to see if I'm patient with my colleagues. God looks to see if I'm godly at what I look at on the internet. God looks to see if I persistently fight sexual temptation. See, we can't fool God by just going through the motions and saying the right things and thinking that's enough. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. God is not interested in appearances, not in your pious words. He's not interested in the religious things that you do in front of people. God is interested in what you do the rest of the time whether you do the will of the Father instead of being an evil doer. So remember that article from the Straits Times that I began with. The writer goes to church and yet he holds joysticks to his ancestors and he says this is inclusive Christianity. But in God's eyes, that's not inclusive. What Micah did is not inclusive. What the Danites did is not inclusive. God's definition is it is idolatry. So even though this man who wrote the article, he goes to church, he does Christian things, at the end of the day, he still has his own idols. He's really doing his own thing. He's really doing what is right in his own eyes, making up his own rules. Now, are you an idolater? We read earlier on in the responsive reading from Ephesians that greed is idolatry. You know, our idol could be material things, when we chase after more and more, we see we live in a consumerist society and our eyes tell us, I want more and more and more, I'm never satisfied. Or our idols could be our leisure. You know, in this country, people work super hard and every time there's a public holiday or there's any break, straight away, that is my, what I deserve, my leisure, my pleasure. So we prioritize ourselves, our enjoyment, sometimes at the expense of walking with God. Or our idol could be our work, right? when it's so important to us that we really have no time in our lives for anything else. Or when we trample over other people at work to get that increment, to get that promotion. Or our idol could be a person. It could be our boyfriend or our girlfriend. It could be a child. God says, turn from idols to serve the living God and tremble at His word and do His will. The second point that we can learn from today's passage is that God is not impressed by magical and superstitious attitudes to religious rituals. You see, Micah and the rest 
of the gang today, they were not interested in obedience. They only wanted blessing. And they thought, I can get automatic blessing if I apply the right magical formula, the right ritual, I say the right words. I can somehow manipulate God, right? I can make God do what I want. See, human beings try to do this all the time. If you think about the, the Chinese religion, you, you put sticky rice on the mouth of the kitchen god. Why? So that he won't say bad things about you, you know, when he goes up there, right? Or you offer jaws and, uh, and uh, food to the uh, god so that they will actually, you know, answer your prayer, give your son a pass in the exam, something like that, alright? See, it's all about the right formula, okay? If I have the right formula, then God can work for me. Isn't that good? And you know what? Many, many Christians have this way of thinking about God as well. They still have a magical and a, and a superstitious way of thinking about God. Now the Catholics will say, go and say Hail Mary X number of times. Go and say the rosary uh, and you will be forgiven. Or maybe the holy water will protect you or uh, a crucifix or something like that. Superstition. But it's not just Catholics. Protestant Christians have their own rituals too. So people may say, you recite this uh, formula, you say this prayer, you do this, you do that, and uh, you get released from your bondage to the spirits. Or how about this piece of advice that the pastor of the New Creation Church wrote in a book. He says, if you take the Lord's Supper, then it will give you spiritual wholeness and physical wholeness. And you will look younger and younger and you will be very healthy. Or how about this, give money to the church and God will bless you back with more. Isn't that a wonderful formula? I wish it works all the time, isn't it? Or, make sure you come to church uh, the week before your exam. Uh, don't stay at home. Come to church and pray and then you'll sure get good marks for exams. That's a formula too. You see, a superstitious and a magical view about God. As though you could pin God down and force Him to bless us. Well, that's the wrong way to think about God. You know, God does not bless us because of anything that we do. God does not bless us because we have twisted His arm. God blesses us because He wants to and He chose to. He blesses us because of His own choice, His undeserved grace, His word of promise to us. So the right way to approach God is not to think of Him as a God who, you know, who, that, who, who doesn't want to help us, but to think of Him as a gracious and loving God. We do not try to manipulate Him, but we just come to God to respond to His word in faith and in obedience. By believing what He says, trusting that He will do what He says that He will do, and obeying His every command. And finally, the thing that we can learn from this passage is that we need a king who can save us from ourselves. You know, why does Israel keep doing what is, what is uh, right in her own eyes? Well, it says in chapter 17, and it's repeated in chapter 18, verse 1. It's because in those days, Israel had no king. See, there was no one to keep them faithful to God. What Israel needs most is not somebody to lead them out in battle against the Philistines, but what they need most is somebody to save them from their own sin, from themselves, you see. And they did actually get a king eventually. All the kings they had were disappointments. All of them were sinful. They were flawed. They couldn't even help themselves. How could they bring the people back to God? But it's only when the king came, Jesus, who is the son of David, the descendant of David, he is the king. See, in those days, it says Israel had no king. But now, 
We have a king and Israel has a king. And the king is Jesus. He is the only one who can save us from ourselves, from our sin. See, we can't free ourselves. Only Jesus can. So let us put our faith and our trust in Jesus so that he can set us free from our sin and lead us into life eternal. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which records the failings of people in the past for our instruction to warn us. And although our natural impulse is to condemn those sinners that we read about in Scripture, we pray that you will help us to see a reflection of our own sinful hearts in them. Please forgive us that we are so often only just skin deep in our faith and our hearts are full of idolatry and sinful desires. Please forgive us if we have tried to manipulate you to follow our agenda rather than surrender our wills and our lives to you. And save us from sin. Rule over our lives through your Son Jesus and by lead us by your Spirit that we may truly serve you and tremble at your word and do your will to your eternal praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.